again my listeners and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Glow West where we chat about sex, sexuality and the body. As usual I'm your host Dr Caroline West and I'm delighted to be part of the Tortoise Shack Network where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society and of course me with the sex podcast. If you like what we do please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack as it really does help keep the mics up and running or if you like please pop over to Apple and Spotify now to rate and review. If you want to get in touch with the podcast the twitter and instagram is at glow west podcast so today we are talking about what we talk about a lot on the show you know sexual well-being and misconceptions and stereotypes and all that kind of thing but we're talking about it in a very specific area and that is southeast asia which has quite a lot of similarities with ireland i don't think we will be surprised to see but we'll discuss that throughout the podcast and i have an excellent guest here to talk to me about this today so jing jing is the founder and CEO of Zazazu, the first personalized sexual wellness hub in Southeast Asia that synergizes education, digital services and products to help women own their sexual wellness. At the startup, she is responsible for leading its strategic development and business execution in the region. As a femtech entrepreneur with a deep passion for positive impact, Jingjing aims to you know, aims to empower women to own their own sexuality and aspires for Zaza Zoo to become the top sexual wellness hub in Asia. Brilliant. Thanks a mil, Jingjing, come along. How are you today? I'm very good. Thank you so much, Dr. Caroline, for having me in this podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Emil. No, it's it's fascinating. And I think, yeah, that we will find that there is a lot of similarities, I think, despite the however many kilometers it is to Southeast Asia, a couple of thousand. Thousand of miles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something, something like those lines. There we go. Um, and so you talk about you know, you're, you're, as Zazazu is great because, you know, it's great to have a spot where you can find sexual wellness that's relevant to a place. But talk to me about what that sexual wellbeing landscape actually is, because Southeast Asia is, there's a good few different countries in there with different religions, different cultures. You know, you're talking about 10 different countries that look really different on the surface. But yeah, scratch that surface and we might see a few different stories. No, lo- lo- love to share. So Southeast Asia is a very interesting for a lot of startups, for a lot of companies, it's a great spot because you have, just as you rightfully said, you have a lot of small countries. Each of them are different and you have many, many different languages. So you can do a lot of product testing in every different uh, countries. And Southeast Asia, you have majority, I mean, you have the biggest country is Indonesia and uh, where the Muslim society is more prevalent. Whereas in, um, you, of course, you always have the mix with Chinese, with Malay, with, uh, so you, it's, 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 a, it's like a flower bucket in a way. And um, there, is, there are a lot of misconceptions generally, I mean, generally around sexuality is, um, is a big taboo. I mean, everywhere else in the world, in Asia, is more specific in terms of female sexuality. I think that we, as in Zadazu, we empower women to find out what, you know, to own your body, to understand your body better, and to find out your pleasure. Because what is weird or what is strange about this region is that in Asia, generally, women can be CEO, women is board member, women can be anything. Nobody will wonder. When I lived in Germany, I lived in, uh, in Europe for quite a long time. When a woman is a CEO or a woman is, I don't know, C-suite or a senior vice president, people are always very astonished that someone can make that far. 
Whereas in Asia, by default, because every woman simply has to work to feed a family. So the, 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 the revolution of Asian society is that it's equal, that men and women are equal in terms of earning money. Having said that, but when, it's when it comes to sexuality, the narrative of women serving the men and women is, are inferior is still very prevalent. Even, I mean, I'm the, the company, we started the company in Singapore. Singapore is considered in the Southeast Asia context as the, if not, even in among Asia, I would say the most advanced, most safe hub in Asia. Now Hong Kong is closing down because the Chinese government are taking over it. So Singapore is by, somehow by default the safest place to start your business, to, you know, to uh, launch te advanced technology. People are putting their money in. So Singapore is considered as the most advanced country in Asia. However, in Singapore, when it comes to sexual well-being or sexuality in terms of women, you can enter. We have done quite a lot of interview with uh, women that are in different societal stage. Most of them are um, university um, graduates. And we have done 1,500 interviews in the meanwhile. What does sex mean to you? Okay. They're series of questions. Yeah. And um, you will be surprised that, I mean, the, the age range would be roughly between 25 and 45, even in this range. Of course, the younger, the answer is more bold. But if you look at the 35 to 45, sex is a duty or sex is there to having kids or sex is, um, yeah, no, basically duty and having kids, these two are by far the most, uh, the, 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 the most, the highest rated answer, basically. Okay. There has nothing to do with uh, me, you know, me as a woman, I could enjoy sex as well, or I can find, I can find, I allow, I allow myself to find pleasure during that act as well. Majorly because of the cultural impact, obviously that um, women are—I mean, women are not supposed to have fun yeah, <laughs> in the yeah. bedroom. No. And I mean, we, I mean, we joke. <laughs> oh, we joke a lot about it. But to be a good girl is a lot in the narrative. And I think to being a good girl, meaning also, is the opposite of being a a girl who wants to have a lot of sex or who enjoys sex is a slut. Okay. Let yeah. me just put it that way. We, so we've we've that, tackled that in Ireland too. <laughs> like that's that's not massively um yeah far off from that unfortunately. But you have different you know uh, religions and stuff as well, so they have different approaches too as well to sex. Yeah, and I think what's very every time when I um I mean I just met I mentioned before the majority people majority sit majority residents I would say in Southeast Asia they are are had Chinese heritage then followed by Muslim and uh, Indian, this kind of heritage. Mo most people will think, if you look at China as such, uh, because of the communism, sexual well-being for women is actually not that taboo compared to Southeast Asia. Okay. And the people that who, have, who are Chinese heritage, I mean, they moved, I mean, long time ago, 100, 50 years ago, moved out of China, come to Southeast Asia, their mindset somehow stuck. Because when you talk about China, it's obviously a very big country. The North Chinese think differently than Southern Chinese. The Southeast Asia, most of the Chinese people come from Southern part of China, which is more, I would say more of the rural area. And their mind never changed since then. Although the country has evolved, like Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia has evolved during the past 50 years, 
But the mindset of the people in terms of sex or position of women didn't change. Funnily, interestingly, when people, when I often pitch the business or I tell people about my business, um, the first feedback, the, the first initial feedback, their reaction will be, oh, uh, that's very tough in this region. You have a lot of Muslims. So the perception that Muslims are, uh, is a definitely taboo topic for the Muslims. This is, I mean, I thought about this as well until I've been running Sadazu now for 18 months. The most engaged um, community we have among our members are actually the married Muslim couples. And I was very astonished. I was even invited, it was very interesting. I never thought about this, but when I started this business, one day the Institute of Islamic Culture, a Iman approached us and saying we, were, we are actually hosting a class for a young married couple, how to deal with premature evacuation. I thought wow. it was spam. I cannot I imagine almost a priest fainted. that. <laughs> yeah. 100%. I almost fainted. I thought it was some spam. And then I, I, I this, was, this was just on the verge of COVID where we still could meet. And I met him and he, he said very calmly, he said, because we encourage our, uh, in, our, in our culture, in the Quran, marriage means that you, ha you, need to, you have mutual obligations and sex is mutual obligation, meaning the women need to please, the wife need to please their husband and vice versa. The husband, if you finish too early, your wife is obviously not done yet. And the logic is so simple. He said, in a moment where both parties are satisfied because sexual need is a, well, obviously the most, one of the most um, human, if you look at Maslow's um, needs pyramid, eating, sleeping, the most, basically the most innate human need, most basic human need, and sex is one of them. So if you make sure that both parties satisfied, why should there be infidelity? Because infidelity, that's a sin. That was a very enlightening talk. I thought it yeah. was very advanced thinking in a way, because Absolutely. if you talk about, you think, you think the Western world are so advanced. When I was living in Germany, the Catholic, you can never imagine a Catholic uh, priest to preach that. No, <laughs> no, definitely not, especially not in Irish society. That's, that's <laughs> just not ever going to happen. Wow. And the same was in Germany. And therefore, I was very astonished. But of course, the, the, the tone lies by you need to be married so the marriage i mean the the, the, the holy the the holiness of of marriage is there mm. so pre-marriage sex that's definitely taboo. yeah in the, the moment we're getting reach married, that far. yeah exactly so okay. limitation as well <laughs> okay 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 so so navigating all that is a lot because it's not just one culture or religion it's a whole like you said like a flower bouquet that's actually or a flower bucket that's a really nice way of describing it so then how do you start tackling then all all those misconceptions that we have about sex because they're going to vary so much from from culture to culture and from religion to religion from language to language all those kind of things so like that's a big task you have in front of you <laughs> It is definitely, and it has been a very tough journey to have to be very honest. I think we as a team also massively underestimated the hurdle we are overcoming. And it's starting from social media restrictions. Everyone in this industry knows that the big, I mean, the big social media platform are run by geeky guys. <laughs> so they don't understand uh, female reproductive health or sexual well-being, let alone sexual well-being. You are very easily... You, you dodge into very easily into the dodgy corner of porn. Mm -hmm. 
So when you don't have in our day, when you don't have a social media such as Instagram or Facebook to promote your business, to get, to gain reach, you are invisible. So you have to find very creative ways to reach your audience. And then COVID hit. There's a misconception as well saying, okay, during COVID time, sex toys are booming. Yes, to a certain extent, because the sex toys are booming for people who already know they have a need. So they are searching for it. They will find it. That's a great point. Yeah, they know where to go. They know what they're looking for. It's, of course, they're searching yeah. for it and they're looking for it and they will yeah. find it. And then there are enough sex toy stores that run by women, by men, by various um, different uh, kinds of people. Nonetheless, the majority still don't understand, don't think that's a necessity. So that energy actually... Um, you divert them into um, violence at home, for example. So I think sexual well-being, therefore, we, COVID was not a good thing, I would say, per se, for our business because we do a lot of education and people have very different concerns about their, I mean, how do you, uh, how, how, how do I feed my kids the next day? And uh, I'm at my, is my job um, secure or how is my mental state? And uh, dealing with um, the homeschooling with kids, they have very different concerns than taking care of their sexual well-being. Yeah. So starting that business during COVID was quite tough, I have yeah, to say. I can imagine, like, because it's so unstable for for everybody that like sex is almost viewed as a luxury or just not happening at all. Because when we're anxious, we don't feel like having sex. Exactly. So and then therefore it's more important. But then again, sexual sex is a innate human need it is there and i mean for men I, I, I in the meanwhile i've learned a lot i would say it's fortunately you, you, it's easier to access it is easier to access but of course as we rightfully said you need to be in that mental state also to you know to enjoy yourself it's not just a but for men let me put this way it's easier to relieve tensions whereas for women it is just anatomically it's just difficult to reach I mean, even let's talk about the G-spot or, uh, I mean, G-spot today, there's no science can dedicate you. I mean, as a doctor, you know, <laughs> where is that? You can't specifically point it out. It's that spot. So let's touch that spot and you will get there. And obviously women think very differently. You have fantasies, your body react very differently. It's not a transactional act. It's rather a, a journey. And if you don't have the mind space and if you don't understand have done your body as in where is my erogenous zone where is the clit i mean um i mean it sounds it sounds outrageous but we have done also an interview with a bunch of college students roughly 300 of them just a very quick dirty do you know your anatomy do you know i mean if you are not a doctor working in that area you don't understand you need to understand where's labia i mean but to understand where's the clit, because it's the only organ in the human history that gives pleasure doing nothing else, you would assume that is for modern women in their 1920s today, they will know. But shockingly, I think we had roughly a little bit above 30% simply didn't know. That, I mean, these are all college students, no? um, uh, junior, not junior high, I'm sorry, in university. So the the young, young, young university student between 18 to 21. And they simply don't know where that is. Like that's, and that is it's depressing, isn't it? Because like, <laughs> you know, it's like you said, it's like just this lovely little pleasure area. And like, there should be nothing wrong with that. And we should be like, 
feel so blessed you know that we have something like this and it's like oh my gosh like you know this is like a gift from whatever god you believe in or whatever universe you believe in whatever happens to be like we have this like just awesome pleasure spot in our bodies but like it that, that I think that goes back to things like sex education and you get told that you have a vagina and you don't get told that you have labia and clitoris and all the bits and pieces that are there. Um, and, you know, if we only refer to it as a vagina, then we think, oh, the vagina is the internal part. And we don't think yes. about that. And I mean, in our sex education in Ireland, I, I would be very surprised if the clitoris was mentioned on a regular basis. So I can imagine Southeast Asian sex education might be a little bit similar to that. And, 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 that is a big harm in our society. Generally, I mean, not only Southeast Asia, but generally across the world. I mean, it's. I mean, I'm a big fan of Cindy Gallop, and yeah, she mentioned crazy. something that she's saying that um, it's not the porn is the problem. Is actually the fact that we don't talk about sex openly with our kids. That is the problem because since you don't talk about it, you seek for porn, and that become the default. And in here in this part of the world, because the teacher, I mean, obviously teacher that generation, they don't feel comfortable about talking about it. And the government are not yet ready to, you know, to invite third party, you know, companies like us, the professionals actually to talk about sexual education. The parents are reluctant because they assume the all earlier you talk about sex, the earlier kids are going to go explore which is a complete opposite. Absolutely. You can yeah. make a more, more informed decision. Yeah. But I think it's very difficult. It's just simply it, the hurdle is very high to overcome any kind of um, culture norm. And the harm there is I have um, someone told me, uh, I mean, she's in her, she's 2021. 20, I mean, so so Gen, whatever you call them, Gen Z. What, what, what I, gen I are think they now? 21 is Gen Z, I think. Gen Z. I think so, yeah. So I, I stopped counting somehow. So yeah. Gen Z. Yeah. <laughs> what it do? She's can you imagine i had the most vicious sexual education in school so the teacher showed a video clip about how a woman was raped and she told if you if you do sex now that's gonna happen to you oh my and god that was shocking and she was from one of the public school here in singapore that is horrendous that was horrendous and that shocked her so much i mean she's very oh luckily she's very rebel kind of type so she started the, about the sexual well-being podcast later on in asia to talk about Fantastic. this topic because she was so shocked yeah. by how teacher was approaching this topic that's and, so but some other girls traumatizing that that was just horrendous oh my god like that it's just and it also like that message then for the boys is that this this is a normal thing like rape is normal then in that case and then somehow that's the girl's fault because she had sex like that's whoa there's a lot of horrendous nasty messages in 100%. that kind of education yeah okay uh jeez okay and like is that like do you think that would be normal like what is there conversations about sexual violence or healthy relationships i mean i can't imagine i think there are a lot actually i mean society i mean today every year we evolve i mean every year you see more content than the previous year you definitely see more especially during covid um there are a lot of i mean the the dark number are pretty high i mean there are the domestic violence is really an issue, has really become an issue because this part of the world, people live in very small apartments and often they're living with aging parents. Then you suddenly 
you can't go out, you work from home, the kids only start from at home, you are stuck and um, there is no way to relieve tension in a way. And then, I mean, domestic violence has become very prevalent and sexual abuse is a topic that I think the, the sad part about that is that because we don't talk about it, some women experience this kind of physical harm, they are too ashamed to talk about it. And it become that, okay, let's don't ask and tell. So let's pretend everything's fine and nobody will see. And until, that's why I'm a fan of the Me Too movement in the moment where someone stand up and talk about it and when institution comes in, talk about it from a governmental perspective of, or the influencers that giving some proper, I would say outreach to the society that will make a change. But yeah. I mean, when you, I think it's only, it will only reach normal when the everyday, I always emphasize, we don't, we work with, we want to normalize sexual well-being for everyday women. We don't need to to normalize sexual well-being for Dr. Caroline, for example, for the people who already know their body, they already start to search. These are the ones they will find their solutions. But for the majority who don't even think about to search, they don't know what to do with, but they still don't search. These are the ones that you want to, you want yeah. to target actually. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, it's, it's great that you are creating that space because it seems like there's a lot of, um, not segregation, but like, you know, if you have to go to like a love hotel to have sex, like it, it's like everything is sex isn't as free as you'd like it to be. Cause like you said, if you're living at home with parents and lots of siblings and, and lots of people in one room, you know, how do you, you can't really have as a sex as often as you'd like to have it. So I think that stereotype in the West is like love hotels or these cool, funky, hello kitty, um, teamed <laughs> rooms and stuff. And I, I've, I've seen those, they, they look cool. Um, but I'm sure the reality is much more mundane than that. And maybe less cartoons. <laughs> I think in Japan, this kind of cartoon scene is very prevalent. Japan is just a very, a, a, a cult, the culture is obviously very different. You have to take that country completely out of the Asia scope, I would say. Yeah, they're, they're all but generally, lots, they are their own world with yeah. mangas and um, yeah. So, but in Southeast Asia or generally, love hotels are very dodgy hotels. The hourly hotel, I don't, I wonder how they change bed sheets. Yeah, so, the cleanliness. Uh, is this <laughs> as such, but as you, and but sadly, it is exactly what happens because the apartment are small and uh, often you live, I mean, you, you are lucky if you have your room or your, your, your own room. And if you bring your boyfriend home or your girlfriend home, the parents will see and they will ask questions. Yeah. And you definitely, especially the girls' parents will ask questions. So mm -hmm. you can forget about it that the girls will bring boys inside. And so the boys sometimes bring girl poop at home and hide for an hour and then they sneak out. And, um, but it's in this region is, and this is definitely not encouraged. Yeah. And yeah. therefore you end up in love hotels and get STD there. And I'm not saying that every love hotel, I think that it fulfills certain purposes as well that, you know, that young people can be intimate as well. But I think it's, it's generally the societal, in Asian society, the societal narrative, we, you know, we forbid a lot of the language of love. And also in the Asian language, I mean, I speak Chinese. In Chinese, the love language is a very heavy language. You know, in English, if you say, I love you, such a, I love you, maid, I love my girlfriend, you know, I love my boyfriend. I, love is such a, I love you is such, is so easily said. Whereas in Chinese, if you say that, it's a very, very heavy word. So I think that also impacts how we approach love, relationship, and sex. So that's 
that I means love is a very heavy word. Okay. You rarely say it. You, you you barely say that to your parents. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah. I thought, yeah, even parents should, because, you know, they're held in such a respectful way sometimes. So, yes. okay. Yes, but you use different language, but you, you you go away. I think we go around, around. We, 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 we hide our emotions. Don't be too emotional or let's, you know, let's not to be too emotionally evolved. And I think all that actually leads to a, less healthier way how we approach sex yeah. so it's behind closed doors and uh it's you know are you are you there, there's the, always this funny cartoons and about you know how before 20 the parents also you cannot have sex and you do not have a boyfriend and you know this kind of uh um narrative saying um just forbidden just forbid cannot 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 yeah, do this. yeah. <laughs> and then you approach 21 and say why, why why don't you have a boyfriend yet why aren't you not married yet and why don't you have kids yet and this is this is this is it's obviously a joke but it's it, it is in the reality yeah jokes i have, have a lot of young people that a hundred percent of 25 26 years old coming to me and saying my parents are so pressure are pressurizing us getting married i just met him or and then in the moment, and I don't want to get married because the moment I really get married, I really have obligation to have kids. Then you have this narrative again. So in the moment where you get married, there is no the gap between, between I would say, youthhood to adulthood, you know, to womanhood is just too short. You haven't explored yourself as a, from puberty to, you know, a full blossomed woman yet. And then you need to become a mom immediately from cannot have sex, not <laughs> become a mom very fast. A lot of pressure. This, this is this is a lot of pressure and mentally, physically, that this doing is doing nobody a favor. No, no, it's definitely not. There's not that sense of yeah, freedom and lack of responsibility and you know, yeah, things like that. And you, you mentioned porn there. Like would the, the porn in the region be like American porn or Japanese porn or eight like what what's kind of the predominant because that will influence how people have sex as well. I think predominantly you if you Google porn, if you have here, I mean first thing Singapore porn is forbidden. But as modern technology is, it's um, the people will find their way to find it. They always do. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. they always do. And we have done some researches. Of course, the Asian, the Asian narrative is more there. But still, I think the American, the Western, I wouldn't say American, the Western narrative dominates more because I think they are just more vocal. They're just more important, are more out there. And um, I think Asians always have a certain aspiration for the Western world, just underlying, I mean, even Singapore, I mean, the British influence is a colonial state and um, the British influence is um, is strongly here. And, but what, what is actually interesting across the region, when you compare Taiwan, Hong Kong and Singapore, so they're all kind of small and had all some, somehow a little bit of attachment with China. <laughs> Singapore, Hong Kong citizens, the Chinese, Hong Kongese, Chinese, Singaporean have a much strong disbelief in sex. I mean, they are extremely conservative because of the colonial influence from the Brits. Mm. Whereas the Taiwanese, the same, also away from China, but the influence are from the US. They are way more vocal. They speak Chinese. I mean, the majority of the language, the key language is Chinese. I've never heard or experienced that Chinese, mainland Chinese can speak about language of love or language of sex 
so vocally like the Taiwanese wow. because of the, the, the American influence. Okay. So going back to the porn industry, what you mentioned, I think the American, the Western porn, Western narrative definitely dominates. But of course, I think porn is a personal tasting as well. Some people are more attracted to the Asian and others are not. But you can find various kinds. Yeah, I think there is no border. Yeah, exactly. It's it's all out there kind of thing. And do you ever remember, I know we've talked about her on the podcast before, the story of Annabelle Chong. She was Singapore's porn star and she went over to the US. She did the world's biggest gangbang. So she became like super infamous. And I remember she went back to Singapore and her parents found out and it was just this horrendous experience she had. But she was, um, there's a great book on her called The Singapore Rebel by Jerry Lim. And I think mm. her background, yeah, I think she would have been Chinese Singaporean, I think. And yes, so her parents yes. would have been quite conservative as well in that sense. But it was just fascinating how she ended up that way. And, and just, you know, the experiences she had, it was just a fascinating thing. I, I suppose she's not really talked about as much anymore because th- th- this is very yeah. 90s kind of. Yes, uh, this was very, I think for that age, I mean, the society has definitely evolved from there, I would say, definitely. But that was a very bold and out move and uh, unexpected, okay. I would say. The society today, I mean, we have actually, I mean, she's, uh, she, Erin Chen is a, a, she is founder of Get Jilly. It's an app for encourage young parents to be intimate again. I think that's a great oh, app yeah. uh, to developing. But she, she's Singaporean. She moved to the Swiss to, to Switzerland, unfortunately. But she started actually the Spark Festival, the first sexual well-being festival in Singapore back in 2018, before I even started this business. And um, really invite intimacy coaches from sex toy producers, from educators, people, that was a proper festival pre-COVID time. Right. And I and and I would say curse and blessing at the same time. We were just discussing this last year recently. That was such a great festival. A lot of people are still holding that in a very fondly in their mind. But since then, actually not a lot has happened. You will think after that festival, because that was well visited and it made a big societal bang as well to say, okay, wake up, you know, sex is legit. And, but I think we didn't really catch the momentum and continue. I mean, we have now more brands also in Singapore, you know, making their own sex toys, but I feel that everything is still very isolated. It's a sex toys. Then there's some education, there are some coachings, things. There is no ecosystem as such, like trip advisor for female sexual body. Okay, well, I hope that we can build another zoo one day to that. Yeah, I, I was going to say. It's not there yet. Yeah, and obviously the pandemic has played its role in shutting down any kind of progress like that. So, yeah. I mean, like, where where are you going with Zaza Zoo? I mean, that sounds like it's it's just this great piece of space for people to explore that. It sounds fantastic. Like, what about your own conference down the line? Oh, I think I think we need to. I mean, we have pivoted already three times during the years. We have find different ways because I think the biggest challenge is still, I mean, to overcome a culture conviction, a culture. I mean, you have been told your whole life that sex dirty, pleasure is guilty, and you should not have, you should not enjoy sex as a woman. It will take ages for any company or any narrative, and it's a collective effort from you know. The, in the, from the whole industry to convince women that, you know, what sexual well-being really mean to them. And uh, 
it won't be it won't be just like that. So we I aim to be grow very fast, but then the reality hits obviously, and you recognize that your there are so many different factors contribute to your business just because you want to move fast, you want to convince them, you are convinced, you need to speak the language of your audience. And ultimately, you know, we every day if you convince one, two, three more women to, you know, to um, join the community to understand to explore themselves that would be that is um one step forward yeah, your, your friendly little furry friend is joining in in agreement <laughs> there so yeah, yeah. and you, you're you're obviously your business is in in the area of a sex tech and so what is that like to even try to get funding for such a business in in you know in, in a very conservative area as well like are people open about being a funder or is that is it a struggle i know we've had cindy gallup on the podcast before and she talks about it's a struggle anyway to get funding for sex tech or femtech so i can imagine with that added element of conservatism and and, and things like that that it may be difficult in that area i think generally people i i have to be fair on that indeed i think the VCs, or there are com- today compared to five years ago, um, there are definitely more institutional investors are interested in sex tech. Of course, various kind of VC they have their vice clause and they forbid them generally to invest in in vice businesses. I mean that's a default. But if you pitch to, I mean in the US, even in UK, there are there are some countries are there are some VCs they are they are even I would say focused in this narrative, like vice venture, you venture, so vice venture, they only invite in, in vice businesses. <laughs> and they're unorthodox venture. But it's, it's called w- unorthodox venture. I, so. It's wild to call it that, like vice, like it's so sleazy and like illegal. And it's like vice immediately conjures ideas of sleaze and, you know, secrecy and, and things like that. And that's obviously not where you are. So, yeah. Definitely. No, I agree. I agree on that perspective. But generally, I think more institutional investors, especially in the angel investment space, people are seeing, I think, some great brands, some bigger brand like Maud in the US, uh, Unbound, uh, Dame in the UK. Dame's in the US, no? In the US. Dame, Dame um, that's in the UK. In the US. Is it? Okay. So there are some brands, I mean, making really female focused product they are getting fundings and then you they are seeing certain tractions and uh, which make actually the space definitely more interesting for investors however i think the challenge still is that we don't have big exit yet meaning that i mean except Val um, has merged with what is other um love honey has merged with wow tech I mean, that's a 1.2 billion, it's a merger. Oh, wow. They have become the biggest um, um, sex tech company in the sex tech company in the world in the new world, the 1.2 billion company. Except that we don't see big exit yet. And I have some candid conversation with some VCs and that's their concern because very often they, I mean, every investment VC put into the company is aimed to be a, is aimed to be hundred million dollar in next five years and then become a billion dollar business ultimately so if they don't see that potential because in any SaaS business or fintech or whatever tech you you, there are potential exit already but fintech is fairly new compared to that 
Yeah. So you don't have to see the big exit there. So people are reluctant, are, I would say hesitant. But with angel investment, sometimes $100,000, $200,000, you can easily, I would say easily in the sense of um, if you are vocal about and then you have, a, you have a solid business model, you can actually get more funding than before. Okay, okay, that's not too bad. And well, well, and speaking of other aspects, because we've just heard um, your kids in the background, like uh, juggling, like, you know, motherhood and, and trying to organize something like this, like, is it particularly hard in that particular sphere? Because, you know, like, I know it's a question men don't get asked a lot, and they should be getting asked. But you know, it, it's if you're trying to juggle everything together, like, how does that work? If you know, um yeah kids are running around the place to, demanding to be kids <laughs> i think i have to consider very lucky in singapore because we have a lovely helper who really help us you know a lot in, in the household with the kid i really chapeau to everyone who's working in the us or in in europe that don't have this kind of child care system as in southeast asia where you have someone dedicated to help you with your kids and so on with your kids and your dogs <laughs> but i think i think i think at the, at the end of the day is reprioritize of um time you know what i mean i started with scheduling really you know this hour dedicated to just you know promote the business on linkedin this hour dedicated just to do with the kids i think to become indistractable it's the key formula to success at the end of the day it's not about time is always always scarce i think it's how you use it and you just you just learn how to prioritize and where to spend your effort and to focus yeah to focus on the more important things than focus on quantity of things rather than few things that are relevant for the business and for the community yeah, that's a wise advice for everybody, I suppose. So yeah, absolutely. And then going forward, then what are your plans? You're going to take over the world or you're going to stay <laughs> focused in, in Southeast Asia? I think it's actually this is this is actually a thought that I'm not quite sure yet. I definitely, you know, we need to I need to conquer Southeast Asia first. We need to move out of Singapore first. And uh, we have a little bit of traction for Indonesia, Malaysia, but insignificant. The other thought I have as well is also because it has been so challenging in this region. Why don't you? I have a lot of advocates coming from Germany, you know, from Europe just in general. Why not just moving this business to Europe? where, you know, where no hanging foods are always there. And people, I mean, I talk with my girlfriends about vibrators, about sexual well-being way more openly than talking with the girlfriends here, obviously. And I mean, why not, you know, why, why choose the harder way? So I think this is something that I'm definitely going to, going to, to reflect and then to have a last trial here in 2020 to see, okay, is it really working? In Southeast Asia, can we scale and can we grow as we hope to become the trip advisor for female sexual well-being? Or is the language barrier and the cultural norm so prevalent that it will take next 10 years to take off? Then I think maybe we should we we should definitely seriously consider to move back to Europe. And okay. I always thought I might not have a advantage, I I would say a competitive advantage compared to you know to you or to uh, people are born there. I mean, the Western face, you speak rather from an Asian lens. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Would different. that actually make any difference? So yeah. that was a little bit of concern. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it's really important to um, 
you know provide that space you know in your country and it's great we need people like yourself to stand up and and create that space in difficult situations where people don't have access to information and and stuff so um yeah I I hope that you know it does get taken up a lot more and you're breaking down all those barriers because you know at the end of the day the person using the the information is a person who might have lovely sexual wellness in their personal life afterwards so yeah it's a it's a really really positive thing so no well done well done for um you know creating this world and where can people find you then and zazazu if they want to get in touch or they want to check out all the awesomeness that you have to offer so we are on the website it's um, www.zazazu.vip that's our main website. We're going to a revamp now. We have some concept where we straw and do something else. Uh, I'm very bad at social media. In social, in, in Instagram, Zazazus uh, underscore VIP as well. And uh, I'm more, more. I would say I'm more uh, vocal in LinkedIn because we are doing a lot of B two B partnerships. So you can find us Zazazu just as the Z A Z A Z U in LinkedIn. We're the only company called that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there we promote a lot of our corporate workshops and uh, sought leadership pieces and uh, talks with our expert expert panel webinars and so on. Fantastic. And that's all the good stuff that we like to see. So well done for, for doing that. And yeah, thanks, Mill, for talking to me today. And again, creating this lovely space in the world for people to find their sexual wellness. So well done you. Thank you. Thank you for having this great podcast to get our, <laughs> carry out our words. And uh, because as I said, I really appreciate that we can have this talk and I, I can, I'll be able to join the show as well as in um, the reach is by far the hardest in this industry. And if I can just reach one more person, you know, the one 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 person a day, you know, absolutely, yeah, without going. navigating censorship on social media and things like that. So yeah, no, absolutely, it's a joy. So you know, I'd absolutely encourage all the listeners to reach out and you know add it to your your arsenal of sexual wellness tools and skills and resources. So it, it should be a fabulous thing. So um, thanks a mil to all my listeners for listening in. As always, you know, you can check out the the instagram and twitter it's at low west podcast and thanks mel if you feel the need to review that would be all sorts of awesome as well and i'll chat to you next week